Good morning. So, uh, our lesson this morning is on focus. So, this morning, where is your focus? Probably on me. Hoping I don't ask you to change seats to do something else crazy, right? Um, or it could be lunch. I don't know. Just waiting for lunch to come and go. Um, so, anyway, where we place our focus this morning in our in our lives will control many aspects of our lives motivations and even our level of success for the Lord. In this lesson we'll see Peter and his disciples go through a storm, see Peter's unusual step of faith and the consequence of turning our focus off the Lord. So we'll begin by reading our text. Our text is in Matthew 14 verses 22 through 23 and then we'll pray and get started. So Matthew 14, verses 22 through 33. This is coming right after, right after the feeding of the 5,000. Verse 22 says, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto him, walking on the sea. And when his disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, Is it a spirit? And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee in the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, Wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Heavenly Father, this morning I ask for your wisdom this morning of teaching where our focus will be. I ask you to help us, help us with understanding and be with us this morning as we learn about your word. So our, our goals in this lesson are to understand that storms are coming. They will always come in our lives. We realize that each storm has a purpose and that our focus should always be on the Lord when the storms, storms come. You know, I'm sure that when Peter agreed to follow Jesus, that he had no idea what adventure to this miracle that Peter performs is a perfect foreshadowing of what each Christian must face. That when storms arise, we must keep our focus on the Lord. He's always with us. Throughout this passage of scripture, Peter's focus changed several times. When Peter saw the Lord in the middle of the storm, he responded by faith. Later, he allowed fear to intrude, but then a renewed focus on the Lord begins. Just as Peter, we will have 
transforms our lives. So part of growing as disciples is keeping our eyes on Christ. So we begin with number one, the Lord forethought. Peter had just witnessed a meal like no other. Jesus fed over 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. And I know when my wife makes bread, I can eat a loaf by myself. It is that good. And so I'm sure the disciples told this story over and over to everyone they met. But the Christian life, however, isn't just composed of mountaintop experiences. We re rejoice more in those high points, but we often profit more from the low points of life. After the Feast of 5,000, Jesus tells his disciples to sail across the Sea of Galilee. And that he would not be joined with them, but would join them later. I see a plan for them, don't you? The disciples had sailed to watch the weather forecast. They didn't pull the app over so they could check if a storm was approaching. But Jesus knew it was coming, and he sent his friends and closest followers to direct them into it. But as always, nothing catches the Lord off guard. This is going to be a teaching moment. So letter A, he sent the multitude away. Show is over. You don't have to go home. You can't stay here. That's, that's usually what I would say when, when I've got lots of plans. I'm ready to go at lunchtime or supper time at night. Throughout the New Testament, we see Jesus doing miraculous things and then sending people away right after. This is often because after meeting the immediate needs, his time here was limited. And he wanted to continue teaching his disciples for the future. As necessary as ministry is to others is, it's equally important to set a time alone or set time aside and just be alone with the Lord. This is the only way we can cultivate our personal walk with Christ. Many people throughout the Bible experience special moments with the Lord by only by being alone with him. Moses was alone with God when he received the Ten Commandments. Even Jesus took time to be alone with his Father. Matthew 14, verse 23 says, And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. Christ communed alone with the Father throughout the Gospel. Mark 1, verse 35. And in the morning, rising up a great while of the day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Luke 6, verse 12 says, And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. As we spend time alone with God, we are promised that the results will be made public. Matthew 6, verse 6 states, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut the door, pray to the Father which is in secret, and thy Father which is in secret shall reward thee openly. Now I've spent lots of time on tractors doing various tasks on farms, and recently my radio was built, so I have lots of quiet time, and I usually check everything out loud, talking to myself, and so I often talk to God, and, and sometimes I wonder, he's like, man, it's that hot for him. <laughs> or maybe he's got a trade job, I don't, I don't know, but, but uh, either way, I just sat and listened to him, because I've been praying for rain, and it's been hot down, so, amen. Um, so our disciples were aboard a ship, calmly obeying Jesus' command, that they would soon 
learned that being in the Lord's will doesn't always mean being saved. It's a letter B, repent, it's vital when you get born. As they sail across the sea, a large storm appeared. Smooth sailing gave way to strong winds and waves. They battled the storm, trying to stay afloat. I wonder what was running through their minds as the ship was being tossed about the seas. One of the hardest things for believers to understand is that we can be in the center of God's will and still be in the center of the storm. We often wonder during the trial, what am I doing wrong? The answer may be very well known. 2 Timothy 3 verse 12 says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 1 Peter 4 4 verse 12 through 16 says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is being spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in another man's matter. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in his behalf. In these verses, Peter is telling us here that it is not unusual, it's not strange, when we aren't alone in trials. We are often surprised when we go through a trial and often act like it only ever happens to us. Think of a fiery trial as a smelting furnace. Gold and silver are refined and made more pure by a fiery trial. God has a purpose for the trial we are in. The Christian life is a banquet, but it's not a picnic. The greatest proof that we are truly a child of God is the way we handle suffering. Peter also says we shouldn't be suffering for our own sins. And such murder right now was gossiping and the criticizing of others. As if we are suffering for our own sins, we cannot glorify God in that suffering. I heard on, I think it was a Christian radio we listened to, and the lady was talking about that when you take the cup and you spill the cup, you spill what's inside the cup, whether it's coffee or water. So the same goes to us. When we get tripped up, what spills out? Is it sweetness and joy, or is it bitter and anger? An old proverb also says, smooth seas do not make gentle sailors. When a storm comes our way, the Lord may be sending it into our lives to strengthen us. He hasn't forsaken us. God knows where we are going and has a plan for the path he sets us on. Job 23 verse 10 says, But he knoweth the way I take. When he had tried, when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. When, not if, storms of life occur, we must realize there's a purpose in this. If we can remember this, and remember that Jesus is with us, the storm is insignificant. 
been behind an old farmer on the country road down down and they, they usually kind of leave a little bit right he's not been drinking a lot of stuff on the road but but an old farm old farmer brown and he drives of course my grandfather would say why he always would look left right and if he saw farmer fred over in the field doing something he'd watch and as he watched he would fear right now sometimes as farmer brown watched farmer fred over in the field you know he would fear and he'd catch himself and get back over in his lane right sometimes he, he'd watch a little longer and he'd, he'd hit the rumble strips and they'd vibrate the car and he'd wake him up and get back over and then sometimes, and my grandfather didn't, but sometimes somebody gets to watch him something and then they run and clear off the road and hit the ditch, right? <laughs> then once you hit the ditch, you have to call a tow truck or someone else come pick us out of the mess we were in. So in this parable, I'm thinking that Farmer Brown driving a truck is us, right? We're in control. The truck is our life here. Um, the yellow line on the road. So, who is Farmer Fred over here in the field? Distractions, the devil. He, he's playing with our favorite sin over here. We're like, man, we're watching, right? And so here's here's the, the funny one. I think, who is the rumble strip on the road? Yeah, that's a good one. But I'm, I'm thinking, you know, the rumble strips make a lot of noise. They they wake us up. They get our attention to get us back on the lane. Pastor. Pastor. Yeah. <laughs> He's gonna like this one. And he, he makes a lot of noise up here when we start watching the wrong TV show or listen to the wrong radio. He's like, turn that off and get back in focus. And so, you know, that's just my head really thinking. Um, like I said, I've sailed a lot of Haiti a couple weeks ago and I was the radio wasn't working and I was thinking about this lesson. Man, that's pretty good. And I think Jeff said, well, starts to steer our life in the same direction. If we get to look at something or concentrate on something, that's where we kind of draw to. Um, so it's vital, you know, to keep our focus on Jesus. Um, most of the time when we get distracted, just like the old farmer, farmer we realize before we get too far off the path and we get back down the road. Other times we hit the rumble strips and sometimes we hit the ditch. But we have a wonderful God who's always willing to help us. First John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abides forever. God promises to guide us as we keep our focus on him. Psalm 32, verse 8. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine 
you know, God can see where we are going. Aaron always used the example of our study. It's like a parade. If you on ground level, you see like the front of it, but if you're up in the helicopter on top of the hill, you, you see the beginning and the, and the end. He wants to guide us with his eye. But if you do not see the face of God, you will not see the eye of God. Jesus is our perfect example. He was focused on the things of his Father. We sang the hymn this morning, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And so letter A, focus on the Lord. Peter's focus changed many times throughout this experience. In the midst of a storm, Peter and the disciples were focused on fear. Fear of a storm, fear of losing their ship, fear of losing their lives, and to top it off, an unknown spirit on the horizon. Fear had consumed them. Then they heard, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And suddenly all that all-consuming fear had vanished. Their focus changed, and Jesus had conquered their fear. In that verse 25, and it says, it was the fourth watch of the night. Now when I read that, I think that's just a little insignificant detail. And I love how the Bible ever points a lot of these out, has these little insignificant, what you think are insignificant, but you dive into them. Does anybody know when the fourth watch is, what time frame that is? Dawn, yeah, it's from about 3 a.m. to daylight. And so the picture here is Jesus came on the fourth watch at the dawn of a new day. Jesus was their light morning star. And we picture this as Jesus being that morning star. Think of a new day, a new beginning, or and a new life. That's the fourth watch. And so I, I, little details like that always intrigue me, and there's nothing in there by mistake. Um, so God does not want us to be fearful at all. John 14 verse 27 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Peter then speaks up and asks Christ if he could come to him on the water. He realized safety was with the Savior, not with the ship. And he believed he could also walk on water if he saw his Lord with him. While the other disciples suffered through the wind, through the wind and waves, Peter's phone was ringing and he was about to answer a higher call. Remember, no matter which storm we are in, the Lord is always there. He will never leave or forsake us. Isaiah 41, verse 17. When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue faileth to thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. So letter B, be focused on the wind and waves. After this incredible step of faith, Peter under, underwent an unfortunate change of focus. His attention shifted from his Savior to his surroundings. And what happened? He fell into the water. His ship crashed. No one enjoys going through storms in their life. But these trials we face used by God to shape us, to actually build us like better, a better shape of us. 
really want to be too fair. Now, consider Joseph, who suffered as a son, his brothers hated him, hated him, and sold him into slavery. He suffered as a servant, he was tempted, falsely accused, and thrown in prison. He suffered as a prisoner. He helped others, and they forgot about him. God used all these storms to prepare him to be the prime minister of Egypt, and ultimately save his family and Jewish people. James also admonishes us to count it joy when we go through difficult times. James 1 verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. You should rejoice when you are being put to the test, for it's not natural or easy. But if you but if you remember that God is good and you love, it will change your attitude during that storm. James goes on to tell us in verses three and four, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Hebrews twelve verse eleven tells us, Now no passion for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceful fruit of righteousness unto them, which are exercised thereby. It cannot be stated too many times. God knows what he's doing, which we will trust him. Amen. Moving to number three, the disciples' faith. Peter had stepped out in faith, and he floundered in misplaced focus. Now we will see that he again places his focus and faith in that one person who has the power to save him. Here Jesus not only saves his soul, but also has the power to save him from the waves. Our Savior has the power to overcome any threat that comes against us. Romans 8 verse 31 says, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Letter A, Peter was rescued. Once Peter took his eyes off Christ, he began to sink. Soon the only thing he knew to do, he reached out to Christ for help. Lord, save me, he cried. Jesus immediately reached out, simply just asked for help. When we run off our road and crash, who are we asking for help? Psalm 34 verse 6 says, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, <coughs> saved him out of all his troubles. Matthew 21, verse 22 says, In all things, whatsoever ye ask in prayer, believing, ye shall receive. Peter knew the wind and waves were more than he could handle. We often do the same thing when we are in trouble. But sadly, many Christians only speak to the Lord when they are in need, when, if they, were already, when they are already in a ditch. But if we had been speaking to the Lord in constant prayer, there would, we would have never veered off the path. Matthew states that Jesus talked to him. Even though he was in the water, he was safe. Just like when we are in the hand of God, we can never be tied loose. In him, we are truly secure. John 10, verses 28 through 29. Now give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. 
Peter learned that true deliverance, freedom, and life can only come from the Lord Jesus. John 8, verse 36 says, If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. So let it be that disciples will believe. The moment Jesus entered the boat, the storm ended. John says they reached their destination immediately. The presence of the Lord changed everything. Moments before, they were in deep fear of the storm and from what they thought was death. But once they realized it was Jesus and that he was near them, their fear was gone. Their focus shifted from the fear to the storm until they learned that if they followed the Lord's directions, they would safely reach their destination. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 say, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thy own understanding. In all the ways acknowledge him, he shall direct thy paths. They had just witnessed Jesus walking on water and commanding the storm to stop. As this began to sink in, their view of Jesus changed. And so let us see the disciples turn nervous. After witnessing these events unfold in front of them, the, the disciples were changed. Matthew states that they worshipped him and called him the Son of God. This is the first time in the Gospels that says that the disciples actually worshipped Jesus. They had love and respect for him in the past, but now they knew who he really was. They worshipped him as he deserved. I had the privilege of this spring working with a live man and one day during lunch, he was telling us about the translation of the word worship. Its meaning was simply like a dog licking its master's hand. To fawn or crouch to, that is to prostrate, which is to lay or bow down oneself in homage of or reverence to adore. Just ponder that thought. <laughs> like a dog licking his master's hand, your dog is always at your feet, right? He always wants to be with you, always wants to go with you. There was genuine fervency as the disciples bowed to their master. It's, it's amazing to see people impact and change when they see Christ as he truly is. That should challenge us. When we see people pulled out of that ditch that's been buttoned to them, we should be amazed and we should want to change. Because we know who Jesus is, we should be worshiping him as he deserves. John 4, verses 23 and 24. But the hour cometh, and not is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Worshiping the Lord is demonstrated throughout the Bible. All inside of us were beaten and arrested. Yet even in their dark prison cells, they worshiped through singing and prayers. A sinful woman washed Jesus' feet with her hair and scented ointment, worshiping through true devotion. The widow with two mites worshiped the Lord by sacrificial giving. And Abraham's faith was tested when God asked him to sacrifice his only son 